The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Last week we were looking at the Beatitudes, and that's what we're going to be looking at again this week. So if you like, this week is Beatitudes Part 2. I'm sure many of you are familiar with adverts. I, I think I tend to watch the adverts sometimes more than I watch anything else on television, because I find them quite interesting what they communicate. You will be familiar with the Marks and Spencers food adverts, I'm quite sure. You get these wonderful pictures of food. You know, like a great big pudding, especially if you've been fasting. This is, a, you know, I should really be saying this. But you get a beautiful pudding, and then they're pouring on cream, and you've got the steam coming off it, and everything's in slow motion, and it's rich, and it's indulgent, and you're thinking like, yes. They're telling you that this is what you should have. You're sitting in your chair thinking like, yes, this is what I should have. And then comes the strap line that says, this is not, this is not just ordinary food. This is Marks and Spencer's food. That's what they tell us. So in other words, the whole thing they're trying to get across is, look, this, you know, this is up here. There's food, but this is food. Now, when we come to this sermon, it just reminded me of that somehow. We have sermons. I've preached sermons. This is a sermon. No, no, no. This is the sermon that Jesus preached. And I say it like that because there's truth in that. And that's how we need to receive it. This isn't just any sermon. Anybody can preach a sermon. And when we are preaching, we're actually pinching somebody else's words. This is Jesus. And this is the sermon that he brings. So therefore, we do want to take note of what it says. And whilst we want to take note of what it says, and we're, okay, ears open, we're ready now. The trouble is when we come to the Beatitudes, yeah, we're familiar with the words, but it doesn't really quite seem to make much sense to us. <laughs> So the first thing you think is like, well, actually, you know, that may be the sermon that Jesus preached, but give me something a bit more simple. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to unpack the words so that we can get the best out of this, because this is the message that Jesus brought, and therefore we want to take it into our lives. And Jesus is saying this in the Beatitudes. What he's saying is, this is the character, not one part, all of it. These are the characteristics which you as Christians, you as my followers, should have in your lives. Not one, all. So, wow. So this is Jesus' checklist. This is saying, this is what you need to have. This is what you need to look for. This is what you need to ask me for. This is what you need to be building into your life on a regular basis. This is the list. And the list includes these things. He says that we need to be poor in spirit. We need to mourn. We need to be meek. We need to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those also who get persecuted really because of the representation that they are in this world to all the other things that Jesus is wanting to see in our lives. And last week we managed to unpack the first two of these. Uh, Matthew 5 verses 3 and 4, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed or happy, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, or happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we reflected on these things. To be poor in spirit is to understand your own lack in comparison to God. 
We're not comparing one to another, not comparing you to the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you. That's not the comparison we're making. We're comparing ourselves in the light of who he is. So when we start to get a true picture of who who he is, then we can start to get a true understanding of ourselves. So for us to be poor in spirit means that we've come to the point where we can look at ourselves and we can see, really, we're nothing. We're nothing without him. We literally are just skin and bones, but he puts the breath within us to give us life. He gives us everything we need for life and for godliness. And therefore, we need to live in the knowledge of our dependency, our complete dependency upon him. The good news is when we live like that, the kingdom of heaven is ours. That's what he says. And we also saw that those who mourn, this is not a reflection of those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. This is those who are mourning over the sin. They're grieving over the fact of there is this wretchedness that I still see in my life. They're grieving over the fact that they are, they're not holy, if you like. That's what we're grieving over. We're grieving over our lack of holiness. And we hate the fact that sin damages our relationship with God. It's good to read that those who mourn like this, the Bible says that they will be comforted. And that's a great blessing. So this week we're going to move on to to number three. Blessed are the meek. Uh, Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed or happy are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And forgive me, I will keep saying blessed or happy. That's how you translate the the word. It's, it's either of those, okay? So if, people are, if you've got a Bible that says happy, yes, that's what it means. If it says you're blessed, well, aren't you blessed when you're happy? Yes, I am. So that's the understanding we've got in it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think, again, when we come to this, immediately there's a little bit of confusion in one sense. We, because meek isn't a word that we tend to use. We, we perhaps understand it, but it's a bit of a more of an old-fashioned word. It's not one that is in your everyday language. It's not one that's in my everyday language particularly. So therefore, we tend to, to, to put things down, especially when we think of meek. What do I think when I think meek? I'm thinking of quiet, someone who's quiet, someone who's a bit timid, that type of person who's a meek person, someone who's a, possibly a bit weak, actually. Those are connotations that the word would have for us in present day English. So therefore, when we say, well, blessed are those people, we're thinking about not the robust leaders or those that are doing all sorts of works you know, in the church or outside. We're thinking of those timid little people who, who don't really seem to do anything. That's not what we're talking about. And you see, that's the problem. We're not talking about that. So therefore, if that's the image we have in our minds, then when we're reading it, that's what we're pulling through. Is that what Jesus is saying to us? No, it's not. He is basically saying, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. Those who have a lowly view of themselves, as we've already looked at from some of the other things. But when we say blessed are the humble, we also need to ask the question, what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be humble? You know what, you can be walking with a group of friends and and you're coming up to a double door, just like the double doors as you enter here, and and suddenly you open the door. You let your friends go through first. That's a sign of humility. You didn't take the first. You didn't say, I need to be first. You've opened the door for them. Is that humility? It's a sign of humility. There's no doubt about that. But this is where we need to be very careful, you see, because the reason that I might have been opening the door for my friends is because I want to prove to them that my manners are better than theirs. 
I mean, they should have done that. They should have got to the door first. But you see, they don't. They don't think of those things. But I think of those things. So therefore, when I open the door, I am showing the humility that is within me. But I'm also showing the pride that I'm filled with. And the problem, really, when we talk about humility, is that often, when we do acts that are oh, laying ourselves down, inside, we tend to be raising ourselves up. That's not true humility. That's not true humility. True humility is not just being able to have a quiet and patient nature towards others. It has, it has to embrace, it has to get hold of the fact that I want to be emptied of all pride as well. To have a true understanding of myself. I'm not doing this because it makes me look better I'm doing this because I want to honor these people. Because we're all equal. I'm not better than them. You see, but when we start to think, I'm not better than them, our flesh kicks in very quickly and it just wants to remind us, well, no, that's often true, but there are some times, really, when I really am better. Pride is in every one of us. Pride is our greatest enemy. Pride is what caused Satan to be thrown out of heaven. That's how dangerous it is. Pride is the thing that is most against the purposes of God. And it hides itself, tucks itself away. As I say, there you are. You can be doing the most humble of deeds. But within yourself, you're raising yourself up. True humility is this idea of the emptying of all pride. Having a true understanding of what's going on inside. True personal reflection. But also having entire dependence upon God. Those are the things that make up true humility. And in many ways, for us to learn true humility, then we need to be acting out those first two Beatitudes. First, we need to be learning what it is to be poor in spirit. We need to be learning how we can mourn for our sins because these things bring us to a place where we're starting to find out who I really am before the presence of Almighty God. If we're going to see pride, then we need to develop a sense of, of our own nothingness before God. And we will need to be those who are grieving over sin so they can recognize it when it is working within us. That will draw us to a place of true humility. But humility is not just about being willing to bear honest self-examination. Being truly humble, we are also willing to bear the comments of others. You know, it's one thing if I say, look, you know, these are the weaknesses I've got. I'm declaring that and I understand what's going on in me and I'm saying that I am in control of what I am letting you know. Humility says like, oh, and can you see anything else in me? Now, <laughs> it's very rarely that we let go of that. But you understand where this is taken. This isn't just I've had self-examination. True humility says like, it's okay, you can say what you want. You can help me to understand who I am too. It's being that type of open. You know what? In reality, we can't get to this place without the help of Jesus. I want to say that to you. Because this is what Jesus says. Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, he says. Do you hear that? Come to me. Not manage this on your own. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You find yourself getting weary when you start to examine yourself. You find yourself getting burdened when you see the measure of pride that is operating in your life. 
And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we truly want to learn what it is to be humble, really humble, if we want to learn all about humility, then we must come to Jesus because he is the one who can teach us. We have to learn, as it were, to die to ourselves. It's not about me making all the decisions. It's not about everything that's going on in my head. I want to know what he is wanting me to do. I want to surrender to him. So that's that sense of living in dependency upon him. And the place that Jesus points us to is, look, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. There's a result in you humbling yourself and walking with God like that because there's a sense in which you are inheriting the earth. The earth is becoming yours. It's almost like the territory of the kingdom is being extended. That's what it means. The territory of his kingdom is getting wider. It's strange, isn't it? Because when we talk about humility, what does the world think of humility? Oh, that's honorable. You know, that's honorable. But actually... If we're going to have a taking of the world, if we're going to be inheriting the world, if we're going to be taking territory, I'd rather like to see some other characteristics as the world. Self-confidence, self-reliance, I need to see that because I need to know that those who are leading me to take the world are got that strength. And what we see is that actually the world's viewpoint of being able to take territory is completely different from the kingdom's viewpoint of how we take territory. Now, all I don't want to say to you is that we just need to understand how different those things are. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. So, so far, we look at blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the humble. And as it were, these first three of the Beatitudes, they take us to look within ourselves. We're examining what's going on in our minds. We're examining our lives, and we're keeping that focus there. When we come to the fourth one, it's a little bit more outward. Okay. I get a bit of a breather. I have got some more activity to do. But just before I come to that, I want to, as it were, paint the big picture. I just want us to take a a little stop and take the big picture. I want to go right back to the first verse of Genesis where it says, In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. Before anything else, before we were, before the heavens were, before anything else was, God was. Can we see that? In the beginning, God. God is the only eternal one. The one who has always been. To a degree, if you can't get your head around it, good. Because you shouldn't really be able to get your head around it. Because it's beyond us. We are finite. We know about life and death. We know about beginning and end, as it were. Whereas he has no beginning, he has no end. That is who he is. At the beginning of time, there is God. At the beginning of time, there is one kingdom. The kingdom of God. That's as it is, right at the beginning. That's where we enter into the scriptures. But by the time we get through to the end of Genesis chapter 3, there are two kingdoms. Okay, just bear with me, but I hope this will help us in our understanding. We get to two kingdoms. That is the kingdom of God, and now there is the kingdom of Satan, called the kingdom of darkness. Satan, as we know, he was created by God. He was an angel, a high-ranking angel, but pride was found within him. 
And as soon as that sin of pride was seen, God cast him out to heaven, cast him down to earth. And we see at the beginning of Genesis 3, this picture of Satan, as it were, speak as a snake, speaking to Adam and Eve, the first created people, and telling them that you need to do this, you need to eat the fruit from this tree. Basically, he's saying to them, I want you to disobey God. I want you to follow me. Now, regretfully, if there was ever a time we want to turn things back and say, let's make a change on that day, it's that day. Don't eat the fruit. That's what we want to say. But we know that they did eat the fruit. We know that they rebelled against God. The consequence of them rebelling against God was this. They were taken from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of darkness. Now, we understand that, okay? That's what happens. When you rebel against God, you're no longer in his kingdom. You are in the kingdom of Satan. And so that's what happened on that day. John describes this in his, one of his letters. He describes the situation of every human being as they start off on earth. He says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Do you hear that? The whole world. The world in which we live, around that, if you like, is the kingdom of of darkness. That is the ruling kingdom over the world. How many kingdoms are there? There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God. That was in the beginning. Now there's been this kingdom of Satan that has come about because Satan rebelled, sin is found, and mankind has also sinned and jumped out of the kingdom of God now into the kingdom of darkness. That is the situation after the fall. The kingdom of darkness is ruling right the way around the earth. We're stuck in that. Okay, we're stuck in that. This is not like, oh, okay, I'll just catch a bus across to the other kingdom. No, 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 no. You are in that kingdom, and we know that the whole world is under the control. Notice the word, the control of the evil one. That's where we are. That's where we're stuck. And this is why God acted on our behalf. John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, God saw what was going on. This is not my plan. My plan is to have one kingdom. So God is looking at what is happening. Mankind is locked in this kingdom of darkness. How, what do I do? So he says, I love this world. So he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God came in because he saw the situation that we were in. So God sends his son, born of a virgin, born into this world, into the realm. Understand this, born into this world, into the realm of the kingdom of darkness. He came into the enemy's camp. He came into the enemy's kingdom to rescue us out of that situation. And he came with the one aim to destroy the works of the devil so that he could then take men and women from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1 verse 13 says this, He has rescued us. This is for all of those who receive this salvation that Jesus brings. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Almost you can feel yourself being pulled out of that kingdom. You see, he's pulling you out of that kingdom to bring you back into the kingdom of God. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. 
Now, praise God, okay, this isn't just the end of the story. I'm telling you what things are like right now. Two kingdoms. Which one are we in? Well, if we were in the kingdom of darkness, everybody was in the kingdom of darkness. That's why we sing, hell lost another one, I am free. Because when we get saved, everybody's in the kingdom of darkness, but now we've been rescued out of it. So we find ourselves in the kingdom of God. In Revelation, talking about the end of times, Revelation 11:15, it says, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah. So in the end times, Satan's kingdom of darkness is going to be completely destroyed. He will be destroyed. And then how many kingdoms will there be? Well, when the kingdom of darkness is destroyed, we come back to one kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that's when we will know peace and we will know enjoyment with God. So what we see as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience towards God, all of us started off living in this kingdom of darkness here upon the earth under the rule of Satan. Now we know as believers, Jesus and the work that Jesus has done on the cross, our sin, that which separated us from God, that which held us captive to that kingdom, has been dealt with. Has been dealt with, okay? And therefore, we are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we are placed in the kingdom of God. However, where are we living? We're still living on this earth. What's the controlling power around this earth? It's the kingdom of darkness that is still there. So here we are, people who are now in the kingdom of God, but we're still living on this earth. We're still here. We're still here and we still have a flesh that has been corrupted by sin because we were born into sin. We're living on this earth. We're living in the kingdom of God. And yet the surrounding powers are still having influence over our lives. And when we give ourselves to the things of the world, to sin, we're giving ourselves, we're acknowledging and coming under those powers. It's almost a bit like we're trying to live across two kingdoms. And regretfully, we could all come up here and give testimony of the fact of how we find that difficult, how we find that challenging, how we find that oppressive, how sometimes we find it enjoyable because actually we just get caught up and get caught up in the lusts of our flesh, whatever in particular those things they are. But you see, I want to paint that picture because I want to show you it's to this situation that Jesus is preaching. He's come to help us in the midst of this situation. He's come to help us when we're feeling confused. He's come to help us to understand. He knows what's going on, but he is more powerful. He is over all things. And he is the one that can help us in this confusion, in these difficulties that we're facing. And what he's telling us is, you need to be building this character into you. You build this character into you, and it's going to help you to stand firm in my kingdom, even though you may be surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. In fact, not only is it going to make you strong in that position, it's going to give you the ability to grow, and the light that I can put within you is going to begin to shine more brightly so that the area, if you like, of my kingdom around you is going to expand. You're going to be able to inherit the earth if you start to learn 
some of these characteristics that I'm telling you about. So Jesus, also I want to point out this, is telling us a fundamentally different way to live. Now, I suppose in one sense, we, yeah, I know that. I know he's always telling us, this is the way. But I want you to see, look, this isn't just, oh, that's a Jesus way. This is directly opposed to the things of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness wants its leaders to be full of their arrogance, full of their self-control. They are people who know themselves. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to be humble. I want you to be dependent upon me. I want you to be meek. I want you to, to learn that sense of quietness. I want you to recognize that actually you're a nothing if it were not for me. I need you to understand those things. I need you to understand that you actually, I hate to see any aspect of the darkness, any aspect of sin in my life. I don't want it in my life. That's what he's telling us. These things are directly against the kingdom of darkness. I don't say that to scare anybody, but I want us to get the picture of what we're walking in. I want us to get the picture of where we're going. I want us to understand what's going on around us. There's a massive battle, if you like. So when Jesus is saying to us, we need to be poor in spirit, look, we need to understand that actually that's true. To be honest with you, look, I'm finding it difficult to believe that. Because I want to put confidence in myself. I'm recognizing that I've been taught that for so long. I'm relying on that and have been for so long. I'm having to unlearn things. We'll all be the same. But Jesus is saying, I want you to be poor in spirit. And this isn't going to do me down. I need to remember, what was the position I was in? Well, Paul reminds us in Ephesians. He says, as for you, as for you, Jonathan, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were locked in the kingdom of darkness. You had no key. You had no ability to escape. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, listen to these words, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. You see, Paul is describing accurately there what we're talking about. We were lost in the kingdom of darkness. That's where I was. In fact, Paul goes on to say, just which is quite nice of him, Ephesians 2 uh, verse 12, I was without hope and without God. Oh, okay, thank you. But you see, he's telling the truth. I was without hope and without God when I was in that position. I truly was nothing. And I had no way of escape. So when Jesus is saying, be poor in spirit, he's just saying, please, reflect upon where you were at. The reality of the position you were in. It's all down to what he has done in our lives. The more that we understand it's what he is doing, the easier it is for us to lose our pride, to gain humility, and to understand where we're coming from. So you can see being poor in spirit is not trying to belittle us. It's not trying to put us down. It's just us trying to get a true understanding of actually where we were and what God has done in our lives. So we need to be poor in spirit. We need to develop that. We need to be those who mourn because we want to grieve over the sins that we still see operating us We are still in this world. And yes, it does still have an effect upon us. But we want to walk in the ways of God. His ways are vastly different from the ways of the world. And of course, all of this, don't forget he says, blessed, happy are those if you walk in my ways. Happy. We want joy. 
We want happiness. So Jesus is saying, this is actually where you're going to find happiness if you follow me. So with all of that as a background, I can now come to number four. And don't worry, it's not going to take me too long to get through this. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Matthew 5 verse 6, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So when we're talking about that big picture that I painted, Jesus is telling us, you need to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is going to bring you joy. Now, as I said to you, the world around us, we know what it hungers and thirsts for, happiness. I need to enjoy life. I'm here to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy life to the full. I'm going to do whatever it takes just to get joy and happiness. I'm, going to, you know, I'm following pleasure. And you know what? The world, let's just say the world, but we know we have to include ourselves. We throw lots of our time, our money, our effort into reaching that goal, happiness. Yet Jesus is saying, you're going for the wrong goal. You should be seeking after righteousness. So it's, it's always a bit, oh, oh, I've given all my effort to that. I thought I was getting somewhere. I thought I was building something up. And now I find I'm going after the wrong goal. That is, in effect, the message that Jesus is bringing. You've been going after the wrong goal. Let me put up the right goal for you to be headed for. This is the goal that's going to take you to the right place. If you want happiness, then it's not pursuing hedonism. And just in case anybody doesn't know what that means, hedonism is when we're giving ourselves over to a life of pleasure. Whatever it takes to make me happy, whatever it is that's going to make me feel good, I'm going to do those things. That's hedonism. That's headed towards that. No, Jesus says it's not towards hedonism. That's not what you want to pursue. Righteousness is what you want to pursue. So we can see the difference, can't we, between these two kingdoms. This is where we're living. So when you go back to school tomorrow and you ask your friends, you know, what did you do over the weekend? And they tell you. You go back to the office, you ask your friends or you're on a Zoom connection or whatever it is. You're talking to somebody about something, about what they did at the weekend in reference to what you did. And you will find there is a difference between the two kingdoms. In the kingdom of God, happiness comes when we pursue righteousness. But in the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness then we are told that happiness is found if you pursue pleasure. Is there any wonder when we think of this that we look at our world and we see the world is confused and in pain? No. Because the world is going for the wrong goal. If I was to be really true, to be quite honest with us, we have been focusing on the wrong goal. I have been. We can't take ourselves outside of that because we all know the things we're talking about. Do we ever give ourselves to pleasure? Uh, yeah, as often as we can, actually. Well, how much do we give ourselves to the pursuit of righteousness? Uh, sometimes. Enough said. That's what we're dealing with. We're trying to understand these things. So is it any wonder that we find that the world is in pain? No, because it is pursuing the wrong goal. The human race seeks to obviously relieve that pain by just pursuing happiness and pleasure all the more. It just does whatever. Whatever it takes, that's what I need to be. If I didn't find it the first time, I'll find it the second time. And we understand what that is because we all find temporary relief, whether it be in another packet of biscuits. What, just one? No, the whole packet. 
Do you want a little bit of chocolate? I'll have that large bar, please. I mean, that's just a food example. There are many myriad examples of where we run to, to find pleasure, to find peace. But when we're talking with Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, in effect, he's saying this, you have pain, you feel the pain. You're just treating the pain, you're not looking for the symptom. If we go to the doctors and we say, doctor, doctor, I've got a pain. He says, oh, here, please, painkiller, sort it. But he never looked further to find out, oh my goodness, there was a blockage there. There was this wrong. That was, oh. He didn't look to find out what was the cause of the pain. The pain is the indicator. The pain says like, there's a problem, there's a problem. So if you just say, let's stop the problem, let's stop the pain, you're not necessarily allowing the doctor to find out what the true thing is. We experience the pain. We've got pain in our own lives. We're asking for the doctor, Jesus, please come and tell us what the real problem is. He's saying, you're pursuing the wrong goal. You're pursuing the wrong goal. You're giving your time. You're giving your effort for the wrong goal. How stupid. And yet we're all caught up in it. And you know what? It's difficult suddenly to say, like, oh, that's easy, right? As I walk out here this morning, I'm going to change. That's it. We can start the journey. We need Jesus to help us. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm with you all the way to the end. Suddenly his words take greater comfort, don't they? Wow. He's not leaving me. He's not abandoning me. Though many others may abandon me, he never will. He's with me to help me all the way through to the end. Happiness is not the right goal to pursue. Righteousness is. What am I spending my time on? Really, what we're talking about here with righteousness is this. Righteousness is being right with God. It's a difficult word to understand, really. In, in, it, in its main form, it just says, look, it means you're right with God. I'm pursuing the place where I'm right with God. I'm pursuing the place where I'm no longer thinking about those sins that keep besetting me. I'm actually looking to God to deliver me. I want to get rid of all sin. I want to be right with God. That's what righteousness is. It's being right with God. It's in that place of being right with God. But we need to understand that pursuing righteousness means that we are actively hating sin in all of its forms. We're actually standing against sin and everything that it does to separate us from the life of God. That's what we're doing. We want to get away from that which is holding us captive. We want to get rid of it. So when we're pursuing righteousness, it's almost like we're kicking out sin. It, it's, it's, we're pursuing one thing, we're getting rid of another thing. It's, it's an activity. It's not just a word. It's not just saying, oh, you're right with God. Okay, that's it. Because as soon as we, I'm right with God, I don't need to do anything. No, this is a journey. It's an activity. This is an everyday occurrence. This is something that you're going home with and you say like, no, I'm not going to lose my temper with the kids. Not in that way. We need to talk about things. I need to learn to make changes in the way I behave. It's not good enough to leave it like that. That's what it is. There's an activity in it. We're actually pursuing righteousness. That is what it is. Look, happy. Hear that? Happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. If you've been fasting last week, hunger and thirst has got a whole new meaning to it for you. You have a focus on that. But we all know what it means to hunger and thirst. It's not just like, oh yeah, I am desperate for this. 
There's an anxiousness in my, I need this. There's an honest and harsh pursuit after it. I want to quote Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'll, I'll virtually finish with this. He says this, talking about righteousness and seeking after righteousness. The man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the man who sees that sin and rebellion have separated him from the face of God. And he longs to get back to that old relationship, the original relationship of righteousness in the presence of God. And I I could say a lot of extra words, but that really describes it. It's almost like, what is this we're pursuing? It's like we want to get rid of all the junk, all the negativity, all of that oppression. We just want to be in God's presence. And I'm not saying that's what we want to stay and we're never going to go back into the world. No, no, no. We want to take everything that we're learning about him from there to shape our character so that when we go out, we are going to be different. Because, you see, we're pursuing a new goal. We're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We're not just hungering and thirsting after pleasure as the world does. And so God... As I'm learning through these Beatitudes, I'm seeing these have depth and meaning beyond me just reading them through. These are affecting our lives. And if we take hold of these and build them in, and we can prayerfully come before God, God, I'm struggling with this. He's here to say, hey, that's okay. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. We just need to invite him in. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.